Good morning, everyone. Yes, it is true. I'm going to be that guy this morning. But can you blame me? When you don't get the chance to preach very often, you've got to load both barrels, right? And let them both go. No, the, the truth is, giving is a difficult topic to both teach and to hear. But I am going to instruct us on giving from the Lord's Word this morning in a season of prosperity for Fourth Baptist Church. This is by no means a rebuke, by no means a guilt trip to give more. It may actually be something that causes you to give less. Giving is hard. You see those giving boxes in the foyer. What what goes through your mind when you see those? How do you feel when you're petitioned to give to a certain cause? How do you feel when your hand hovers over the box or the plate and you let go? Oh, what could that have purchased for me? It's not just hard to give, it's also hard to have the right attitude when you give. No matter which way you cut it, giving is hard. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians is for lack of a dust statement here, after chapter 8. But these two chapters, Paul is referring to a collection that is being taken for the famine relief fund in Jerusalem. And Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to follow through on their commitment to give. And he's admitting as much. It's difficult to give. It's difficult to fulfill your commitment. So I'm not here this morning to guilt you. In fact, I as many of the pastors have done the last several months, have commended you for your principled and faithful giving to the ministry of Fourth Baptist Church and beyond. I want to continue to encourage you to do so, but I want us to be reminded of what type of giving the Lord loves. The Lord loves cheerful giving. And I am here to encourage you this morning and to encourage myself to give cheerfully. Simply, I want to give us this proposition. God wants us to give with cheerful hearts. Let's personalize that. Fourth Baptist Church, God wants us to give or to continue to give or to start to give with cheerful hearts. Father, we are blessed this morning because we have been given so much. All of what we are doing this morning is pointless if Christ had not died and resurrected from the grave. And we have been given many hopeful and precious promises of his return, and we worship and live in light of that day. May we continue to give because of the example that has been set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I guess I'll just say this. If at any time you are too offended by by the teaching of God's word on giving, we'll just have the children's choir come back up and they'll sing and they'll melt our hearts once again and then we'll continue on, okay? So if any time, just let me know we need that to happen. God wants us to give with cheerful hearts. Dr. Schrader has also already read the text for us this morning, so let's not read it all again. We'll read some of it as we go through. But I want us to answer the question, why? Why should we give with cheerful hearts? I believe that Paul gives us five motivations in this passage. Five motivations to show us why we should give with a cheerful heart. Five motivations why we should give with a cheerful heart. The first motivation is found in verse 6. 
and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Farmers in Oklahoma during the late 1930s faced an excruciating choice. Throughout the 1920s, rain had been plentiful and the harvests abundant, and many city workers had left their factory jobs in the Northeast for a chance of fame and fortune in the great American Midwest. The stock market crash of 1929 motivated even more to take this journey west, but in 1931, the rains stopped. And to make matters worse, years of poor farming technique had destroyed the grasses that preserved moisture during times of drought, and the dry ground resulted in massive dust storms, which destroyed remaining fields, and fortunes were swept away in the clouds of terrifying dull gray blizzards. By the fall of 1939, thousands of farmers returned empty-handed to the East Coast. Some that remained faced an excruciating choice. They had just enough grain to feed themselves and their families for another year, but probably not much longer than that. If they planted these seeds and no rains came, then their families would not survive the year. But if they held on to these seeds, grinding them into flour for bread, they forfeited any chance of receiving back a harvest. So many planted in faith in hope that rain would come, and in the fall of 1939, it did. Motivation number one, giving is not losing. It is sowing. Giving is not losing. It is sowing. Giving always involves risk, though, in our minds, doesn't it? We, we release it from our hands, and we lose it, and we no longer have any control over it. But is it losing? The Scripture makes it clear it is sowing. Jesus makes this principle in John chapter 12, verse 24, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Giving is not losing. Giving is sowing. We gain by sowing what we have, and God sends the rains and makes it so much more than we ever could have made it. Verse number six in 2 Corinthians 9 is referring to a universal principle, a universal law. And the application for us is a miserly planting will produce a minimal harvest, but a bountiful sowing will result in a maximum reaping. There are so many Bible verses that we could go to to show this principle. Let me read you a couple. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. The more you sow, the more you will reap, and vice versa, the scripture teaches us. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. But if you're a miser, you will be miserable, is what Proverbs just taught us. So here's what it comes down to, I think. What determines our giving is our attitude in the act. 
Our attitude and the action provides the outcome. Do you believe, you have to ask yourself this morning and think about it before you answer, do you truly believe that God can take what you have to give and use it far more wisely to to reap a far greater harvest than you could ever imagine? And does that drive your attitude in giving? Does that motivate you to give? Are you hoarding for earthly treasure or are you investing for everlasting treasure? Now some of you might be sitting there right now and saying, this sounds a whole lot like the prosperity gospel. Has Pastor Dan flipped a switch? No, I hope not. No, I haven't. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is a simple principle that the Bible teaches as a universal law. God blesses bountifully those who sow to his work bountifully. So what motivates you to give? Don't be motivated by I can do something with this. Be motivated by the fact that if I sow this to the Lord's work, he will cause it to grow and we will reap a harvest. It's not actually losing when you give it. It's sowing. Motivation number two. Find us in verse number seven. Motivation number two. Cheerful giving is what God loves. Ask yourself this question. What type of giving does God love? Now answer the question. The type of giving that God loves is cheerful giving. Verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what does cheerful giving not look like? My New American Standard here gives two different words to describe not-so-cheerful giving grudgingly, quite literally, that which causes pain. Oh, oh, that hurt. Or sorrow. Or compulsion, peer pressure. I have to do it. What will people think if I don't? Let me throw myself under the bus here for a moment, okay? And nobody judge me too harshly. We were all in high school once, unless you're not in high school yet, but you will be. Lord willing. I remember very vividly a time at a, a Max Sports tournament where we had a special speaker, and during the service, the pastor called for us high school students to give to the speaker. So here's what I did. When the plate was passed, I saw my friends throwing their, their bills in, and I did the whole empty fist, but it looked like I had something in my fist. Passed the plate. I know I'm terrible, but it gets worse. It does get worse. I felt so guilty about that that the next day I purposed in my heart, okay, I'm going to give. But when I gave, oh, how many soft pretzels could that have purchased? How many bottles of Mountain Dew could that have purchased to fuel me for the next game? I didn't make it any better when I gave (laughs) because I gave from compulsion. I gave grudgingly. It does not so much matter the amount that you give. What God wants to see is your attitude with what you give. The attitude is far more important than the amount. Why are you giving? 
Is it hurting when you give? You need to change your heart. You need to change your motivation. Are you giving because of compulsion or pressure? Or what will people think of me? You need to change your heart. It's not the type of giving that God loves. God wants a a heart that is purposeful and cheerful. He wants us to be intentional, to prioritize giving in our minds and prayerfully determine how much he wants us to give, not with pain, not with pressure or compulsion, but excitement as we place it in. What is God going to do with this? Does that describe you? Does that describe our hearts? We get caught so much up into amounts, don't we? How much are you giving? How little are you giving? Um, Don't want to start a fight here, but I want to remind us of something. The tithe, the tenth, is an Old Testament concept. It's a number. We give New Testament giving, we give offerings. Have you purposed how much you are going to give? I would actually contend some should give more than 10%, and maybe even some should give less than 10%. You should purpose in your heart before God. How much should I be giving? And is my heart cheerful? (sighs) The type of giving that gets God's attention is cheerful giving. You guys all remember the story, right, in Luke 21, where Luke paints a picture of of Jesus and his disciples in the temple, and what are they doing? They're they're watching all of the rich, the scripture says, bring their, their sacks of treasure into the offering bins, for lack of a better phrase. And you, just, you have to close your eyes and picture this. They're, they're walking their big bags, look how much I'm giving today, and dropping it in. And just imagine the sound. Thump. Ooh, <laughs> that was a lot. And these continual thuds of how much they gave until suddenly Jesus' eyes are fixed on the poor widow. And she drops in Two small copper coins. Plink, plink. What? What was the point? (laughs) Like that's going to do anything. Here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. That is what got our Savior's attention. The amount is not so much that matters to God. It's the quality of your giving, the quality of your attitude. Cheerful giving is the only type of giving that God loves. So when was the last time you or you and your spouse sat down and said, how much are we giving and why? Should we be giving more? Should we be giving to other people? Should we be looking for more needs? Should we be giving less? Are we proud in how much we give actually to our family's detriment? Or has it been so long and you are giving, but you're growing apathetic? You're like, I actually like the fact that we're giving 10% because I can live my lifestyle around that. Are you apathetic in your giving? Or is your giving cheerful? Second motivation is God loves cheerful giving. So be motivated by a cheerful heart to give. Motivation number three, find this in verses eight through 11, and then really just the beginning of 11. The end of verse 11 goes with the next one. But cheerful giving teaches us that God is the infinite source 
of blessing. Paul turns the focus from our giving to God's giving in these verses. And they contain tremendous promises. I think simply that says this. You and me, we cannot outgive God. You ever heard that? You ever said that? Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? You cannot outgive God. What is the biggest fear that we have when we give? Just be honest. What's the biggest fear that we have when we give? I'm going to run out. I'm not going to have enough. And that really is human wisdom. Human wisdom says, I have enough by keeping and I have enough by getting. Godly wisdom says, we gain more by giving away what we have. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind or to the American mind. But we gain by giving. You read verses 8 through 11. Verse 8 says that God graces us. He, and not just he might, he will. He is able to make all grace abound to you. And if you look down at verse 11, you, you really understand why. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Why? Because God has everything. God owns everything. I, I said verse 11. I meant verse 10. Excuse me. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Answer this question. Where do the resources that I have right now come from? Where do they come from? He who supplies. Everything I have comes from God. Everything I give goes back to the one who owns it truly. And he will give back more than I could ever imagine. God is the infinite source of giving. You know, I, I was thinking about this this week. I, I know these truths. I, I know my theology, but is it, is it possible that I have not experienced this as much because I have been so unwilling to actually release what God has put in my hands to experience the flood that he pours in return? Could that be possible that, yeah, I believe this, it's in the Bible, but I don't really live this. Are, are you giving so that God can help you experience this? It's been a question that I've been pondering this week. There's a couple words in verses 8 through 11 that my, my attention has been fixed to. Verse 8, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all, what's the next word? Sufficiency in everything. What does it mean to have that which is sufficient? Another word you could say here is God gives all for us to be content. God gives us all that we have that is enough, but we're Americans. We don't want sufficiency. What do we want? Well, we're insatiable creatures, so we want, this is a real word, I looked it up, we want satiety. We want to be fat. We want to be stuffed to the gills, but that's not what God says. He says, sufficient, sufficiency. We think we must be sated to be sufficient. When we eat a meal, there's a difference between eating until you're satisfied and eating until you're sated. You know what I mean? We just had Thanksgiving. You can relate. 
God, here's the point, God does not cause all grace to abound to those who give so that he can pour it out and then we get stuffed and fat and lazy and self-sufficient with it. He pours it out on us so that we will be God-dependent and trust that God will provide for our basic needs and then we can cheerfully give away everything else to bless people and to bless God. That's why Paul says God does this so we can abound in good works towards others. This is all so that we can abound in good works. Every good deed at the end of verse number eight. It's so that we can have a legacy of not wealth, but righteousness. Verse nine. Paul quotes from Psalm 112. God enriches us so that we can have a legacy of righteousness, not wealth. So how is this not prosperity gospel? Prosperity gospel is you give to get for yourself. But here's what Paul is teaching us. Let me just summarize verses 8 through 11. God prospers the cheerful sower so that he may abound in good works to others. God prospers the cheerful giver so that he may be generous and not grow fat. God prospers the cheerful giver so that he may be God-dependent and not self-sufficient. God enriches us so that we can scatter even more seed and sow even more harvest. And God enriches us so that we can have a legacy of righteousness and not wealth. And if that is the desire that you have when you give, what's going to happen? Look at the end of verse number 11. It will produce and is producing thanksgiving to God. Now back in chapter 8, Paul describes the people who were giving this to this fund, and he talks about the Macedonians who were giving out of a great ordeal of affliction and out of deep poverty, but they did all of this with a cheerful heart, with the abundance of joy they gave liberally. I wonder if we fall into this trap right now with the way the world is. We, we feel threatened by America's not the way it used to be. We feel threatened by what is our government going to mandate upon us. And when we feel threatened, what do we do with what we have? We cling to it. I can't give it away. I might not get it back. But think back to these people to whom Paul is writing. They did not live in a stable world. They lived in a world where they were persecuted for being followers of Jesus. They were hunted. They were scattered. And yet they were thrilled to give with abundant joy to the one who had given to them in the first place. And as a result, God was praised. And thanksgiving was given to God. Don't wait for ideal circumstances to give. God has given to you enough now to bless others cheerfully. They lived that example. Are we living that example? Motivation number four. Cheerful giving evokes reciprocal blessings. It causes the blessings to abound and to rebound. 
Look at what happens in verse 12 when we give cheerfully. The, the Corinthian believers, if they were to choose to give cheerfully, they would meet the basic needs of the Jerusalem believers. But, but how does that blessing reciprocate? The Jerusalem believers would give a greater praise to God. Isn't that what it's all about? I give not for self-praise, not for self-recognition, not to be considered generous or a philanthropist, but so that God may be praised. So hard to do. Verse 13, how else does this rebound? The people praise God for people who give out of worshipful hearts to God. And they praise God for people that genuinely demonstrate Christian ministry toward them. When I was doing my own translation for this passage, I translated beginning of verse 13 there, because of the genuine character of your service. Isn't it so refreshing when we see people give because they love Christ and not because they want to receive recognition? Isn't it so refreshing when we see people who say, I am nothing, everything I have I don't deserve, and God sent his son to die for me, so who am I to cling to this when it can meet the need of someone else? Isn't that so refreshing? Have you ever experienced that from someone else? God be praised when people give to us not out of compulsion, not out of hypocrisy, but with genuine, spirit-produced, sacrificial giving and living. When we live and example the gospel in people's eyes. And this continues to evoke reciprocal blessings in verse 14. It, it creates knit hearts of genuine Christian love towards the blesser and the blessed. Do you see that in verse 14? And you have to think about what's going on here. As the presumably Gentile Corinthians give to the presumably Jewish Jerusalem dwellers, their hearts are knit together in love in a way that could never happen unless the giving took place in the first place. You ever thought about all these different people in here? What really brings us together? Why would I spend time with you? Why would you spend time with me? Isn't it all because of the sacrifice of Christ who gave in the first place? Don't we give, don't we love others because we were first loved? Don't we love others who give to us because they showed love to us first? This is a simple biblical principle, but it continues to rebound blessings upon us where people continuously say, I am nothing, I will give to God who has met my needs. And then those people say, thanks be to God, I am nothing, I will give to others to meet their needs. And God is continuously showering us with more things to give people so that God's name can be praised. That's the type of giving Paul is describing here. Cheerful giving evokes reciprocal blessings. And then finally, number five, cheerful giving examples the indescribable or the inexpressible. Cheerful giving examples the indescribable or the inexpressible. How can we possibly describe or express what God has done for us through Christ? How can we possibly describe that? You know what? This isn't planned, but let's do this. This is okay. Can we quote together John 3.16 in whatever translation you have it memorized? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. I have three sons. I don't know that I love any of you enough to give one of them. What an un, indescribable, inexpressible gift that God gave to us, that God gave to his enemies, who while they were still sitting, Christ died for. Why is it so right for us to give cheerfully? Why should it be so natural for Christians to give everything? Look back at chapter 8. Look back at the example that we example when we give cheerfully. Look at chapter 8 with me. Verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Can I ask a question? Who was richer than Christ? Who was more powerful than Christ? And yet he exchanged the glories of heaven for the anguish of a cross, willfully. When we cheerfully give, we example that indescribable gospel grace that he gifted to us. So what is the motive in your heart as you give today? My wife recently read a book on the, the great Scotland runner Eric Little, did some looking up to him, and we, we all know him for what? He, he's the guy that wouldn't run on Sunday, yeah. He didn't race in the 100 meter, which was his best discipline because it was on Sunday, but he ran in the 400, and he won the 400 meter for which he became famous. You know that about Eric Little, but you might not know this about Eric Little. A year after winning, he went to be a missionary to China. Anybody know that? A year after winning, at the highlight of his career, he went to be a missionary to China where he had actually lived when he was younger. And the throng at the boat when he was leaving was asking him questions like this. Why are you leaving? Why are you giving it all away? Why are you leaving in the prime of your career? You are great at what you do. This was his answer. Christ for the world. For the world needs Christ. He sacrificed fame, fortune, career that the supplier had given to him so that he might sow the seeds of the glory of Christ and Christ's glory might increase while he decreased. He gave cheerfully, sacrificially, and God received the glory for it, and his investment still reaps a harvest today. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, who gave us an indescribable and inexpressible gift by taking on flesh and dying for us. May we today focus on his example and may it motivate us to give cheerfully. Lord, I pray that we would not 
give with a mindset that says, oh, what could I have purchased with that, but with the excitement of how is God going to bless that which I have sowed to his glory. I pray, Lord, that we would give cheerfully, for it's the loving, it's the giving that you love. I pray, Lord, that we would think of you as the infinite source of blessing that we cannot outgive. I pray, Lord, that we would think about all of the benefits and blessings that rebound when we give and how the church benefits for it. And I pray, Lord, that we would always be motivated by the example of Christ and that this cycle of giving and harvest and blessing and thanksgiving will continue until we are with the one who gave all for us. In Christ's name we ask, amen.